We're going to start today's session with John Stanberg, Stanberg Venture Partners up in Seattle. John, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thanks. John, can you um, adjust your line a little bit so we get a slightly better audio? It's a little bit low. Uh, it's That's a little bit low. Let me see what I can do. Is that, is that any better? It's a bit better, yes. Well, welcome to the show. We we're very happy to have you here. You're one of the most prolific angel investors in the Pacific Northwest. Tell us about the focus of your investments, and let's uh, introduce you to our audience. Absolutely. Well, I'm a little disappointed it took 374 shows to get me on, but I'm glad to be here. Just kidding, <laughs> of course. Uh, congratulations to you for doing this. I think it's really important. Um, so thanks uh, Thank from the community for doing this. It's fantastic. I, um, you know, it's nice to be interviewed. I'm kind of an old dinosaur at this point, uh, having done this for some 30 years. Uh, I originally moved to the Pacific Northwest to work at Microsoft in the late 80s. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, I'm old. And uh, have been doing uh, venture and angel investing for that long. I've uh, been a partner in three funds. I raised uh, two funds uh, under an eponymous name and then uh, joined a group out of L.A. called Rustic Canyon Partners, where I was a yeah. partner as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, you asked specifically what the focus of my investments are. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't really have a specific geography, and we're going to talk about that, or sector focus. Having done this as long as I have, um, for me, there are some areas when it comes to pattern recognition and people who I've worked with in the past that I tend to focus on. Mm -hmm. uh, to, be, to be clear, um, I am, uh, I'm not sure I'm very good these days at keeping up uh, with all the changing trends and all the differentiated, um, almost seem iterative, iterative kinds of companies being formed. When I started doing this, my focus was pretty clear. It was mostly enterprise software. And it was a completely different game. There were fewer venture players, and yeah. you'd put a couple, you'd put you know several million dollars to work and building code, and it would take a couple years, and then you hope you'd figured it out and you were solving a big problem, and and then you try and get a couple of customers with a long sales cycle. That world, of course, has changed dramatically, yeah. and so while I remain active and excited, uh, I would say that I'm much more opportunistic these days than I am actually focused on any one thing. Now, having said that, uh, I am certainly uh, excited about and really interested in learning more about um, several sectors. So, for example, you know, it almost sounds to say, but I do think blockchain and Bitcoin-related activities are extremely interesting and potentially significantly game-changing opportunities. Um, given that my background was in enterprise, it's hard to ignore what's happening in the cloud as everything moves to that, for example. So I guess what I'm saying is I'm trying to build off all the things I've done. I've made, gosh, well over 300 investments at this point. Uh, so hopefully I can take some pattern recognition from those previous investments and apply it to the modern era. So um, 
Tell us a bit about what have been some of your most interesting investments in the 300 or so that you've invested in. What really stands out and why? Gosh, you know, you've done that many investments. Um, I'm sure there's some I've even forgotten. But um, the thing that's interesting to me is that I can honestly say you never know what's going to work. Um, and I'm often surprised both downside and upside, meaning I'm often surprised uh, on the upside. For example, I had a company um, that I had almost said, gosh, this is never going to amount to anything, and it had uh, an over a $2 billion exit in the last uh, 12 months. So, wow. I mean, it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty exciting, and, and that was in the – What uh, was that? What company was that? Uh, Square Trade. Okay. It, it, in warranty. It's in the warranty business. Mm-hmm. You, you've probably seen their ads. To, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, but, that, but, again, I was in that company for a very, very long time and um, had not expected that outcome. And what's interesting about that one is they had received a very significant investment a few years ago from a major uh, private equity firm, not a venture fund. Mm-hmm. So that was not a traditional path. And that mm-hmm. ex- private equity fund took it to the next level. So uh, that's an example of one where, gosh, in the day, and I, I <laughs> sorry to keep talking about the past, but I've been doing this long enough. Back in the day, it was a pretty traditional path to uh, an exit or a non-exit, meaning you did a Series A, a Series B, a Series C, and then, you either got acquired or hopefully went public. But um, today there are so many different paths to this that yeah. it's both exciting, it's exciting, but also I think is created a lot of um, noise, if you will, or a lot of confusion in the marketplace, which, you know, therein lies opportunity. I'm not – I'm happy about that. Well, that's, um, that noise is what we are trying to kind of help cut through and, and – you know, come come up with some sort of a logic to understand that noise, right? So, I mean, the day, the times that you're talking about, I've been in this business for more than 20 years as well. So, I did three uh, companies in the 90s, and then I'm doing this one now. But in the middle, I consult for a long time. But um, you know, in the 90s, you used to do seed investment, and then you used to do Series A. And now you That's do right. pre-seed, seeds, post-seed. <laughs> Pre-series A, what is the difference between post-seed and pre-series A? I mean, this is not so simple anymore, right, to understand for entrepreneurs who are doing it for the first time. It's not easy for them to understand where they fit in and who invests in what. So have you actually, you know, given these are the trends, have you selected where you want to play in this continuum stage-wise? Yeah, no, um, so I, I haven't. Because, you know, I know the the fashion is to say you are a X or a Y or a Z. Um, Maybe maybe it's a bad strategy on my part to say I'm more opportunistic, uh, Mm -hmm. but I don't have a fund right now. I'm investing on my own or I'm investing with syndicates, a dwindleless Mm -hmm. syndicate. I I have a group of people I work with as well. But the point is, I'm more interested in, and so I'm not going to be your typical interview. I'm more interested in people that I, I, I back people first, for sure, at this mm-hmm. point. And, 
you know, people always ask that question. It's, I get that question every time. Is it market or is it people? And for me, with the noise being what it is, I am backing people first. People, okay. Yeah, the market's got to be there, okay? But that, that to me, so if you look at the kinds of investments I've done recently, uh, I'll just give you two. I think it'll be illustrative. One was a company called Tomorrow.me, which was, I actually did an angel syndicate with it, and I'm very excited. But it's a, it's a company that's creating estate and wills uh, optimized for a mobile device, mm-hmm. mostly for millennials, but for a very large audience who, surprisingly, there's a large audience out there that does not have a will yet. Okay. Um, okay, and this was the first round of funding, and um, there are some great people around the table, great investors around the table, but the team had worked together. The team had done startups before. I was mm-hmm. super interested in that. And, and by the way, it is not an obvious category, and it hasn't really been cracked before, and we'll see. But, I, but it is a big category, and it is a team that I believe is mature enough, has seen enough, understands. The you can figure it out. Right. That's one example. Another one is I just – and that was early stage, so you, you ask about stage. Another one, which also is early but, but, but would be considered a, a or B at this point, is a, is a company called Stellar, which is trying to be, if you will, the Uber slash open table for private jets. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is a really interesting company that could create the marketplace, a really interesting and also large opportunity for, for all the deadhead flights that are out there carrying no passengers, okay? Yeah. Very different, very different field. Um, because it's being run, uh, it's a spin-out of a major aerospace company, and mm-hmm. the people who are leading the round are more of a private equity firm than mm-hmm. a traditional venture fund. And actually, I had a conversation about this yesterday with someone who said, well, you know, is that, is that a problem? Because the culture of a traditional buyout private equity firm and a venture is very different, right? So... I, in some sense, maybe the right answer to your question, to boil it down, is uh, I'm kind of looking for the differentiated thing. You know, if I see, it seems like every day I get deals that are a little bit different than something I saw the week before, but not terribly different. Right? Dramatically terribly different. different. Right. And, and you see where people, the, the thing that's interesting about today, that we, now I'll, I'll refer to you since you've been doing this for 20 years, the, the thing that's different today is that, if you can dream it, if you can think about it, if you can play with an app and see, oh, what if I did this? You can immediately say, oh, I'm going to start a company doing that, right? Yeah. And that's both good and, that's both good and bad. Right. Yeah, the entry barrier is very low. And um, however, to make something a success is still difficult no matter what. Um, it's cheaper to get going, get some distance going, which is why I think uh, all this – you know, commotion is happening in the early stages right now, but uh, but it's still difficult to make something it's work. Cheaper. It's not only cheaper; it is it's being encouraged. Yeah. I mean, if you think it's about glamorous, it, it's glamorous. It's sexy. You know, I'm in the wine business also, uh-huh. and everyone assumes okay. it's the most exotic and I, I call it lifestyle pornography. Everybody from the outside looks in and says, "Oh my gosh, that's so fun! That's so exciting!" 
And yeah, there are days, you know, look, I've got an empty bottle right here. And I assure you that people hearing this are thinking, wow, he's in the wine business. Let's talk about that. And isn't that great? And well, it's hard work. Wine and business so- is hard work. And, and if you look at what happened in uh, Napa and Sonoma this year with the fires, these guys are really hurting. So anyway, well, um, so... In, in, natural, sorry, I want to interrupt, but forget natural disasters. The wine business is not a bad parallel because what's happened in the last 10 years in the wine business is mm-hmm. it's become exponentially more competitive. Not only are probably there's double the number of wineries, but there's microbreweries, microdistilleries, there's cannabis, okay? And people forget it's still a business at the end of the day. And that's the same thing that's happened in the world of startups. It is your Barriers to entry, it's hyper-competitive. Yeah. Yes, there are more, because there are less barriers, more people are doing it. That means your idea better be that much better and that much more differentiated, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, and your competi- competition is um, international, which brings me to my next question, which is um, what is your geographical um, sphere? Do you, is it Pacific sure. Northwest? You said you invest in L.A. What's the um, sure. perimeter? So, uh, you know, I get a lot of people, and this is a direct result of what we've been speaking about. I'll get, first of all, I get a lot of over-the-transom kind of requests. And I just want to say to people, please don't do that. I, I mean, and with all politeness and with all respect, I'm just not going to entertain that. If I don't know you or I don't know somebody that knows you or somebody who's all, already spent a lot of time in this who I already know, it's just I can't do it. I don't have enough hours in the day to do that kind of due diligence. Secondly, if you're not in either the 415 or the 650 or the 206 or the 14. If you're not in the Pacific Northwest or the Bay Area, where I am a lot, I live in both places, it's just really difficult for me to get over that hump. Because I I do want to come visit you and spend time and hopefully add value. Um, And so if you're you're out of those geographies, then there has to be some other really compelling reason why. And, And I do it. Look, I've invested in Argentina. I've invested in New York. I've been, I have invested in a variety of places, but it, those are the exceptions to the rule. Generally speaking, I'm focused on the Bay Area and Seattle. And what I try and do to differentiate myself is I say to people, how can I help you? If you're in Seattle, how can I help you go to Sand Hill Road? How can I help you do biz depth? One company that I invested in, AppVance, wrote me an email this week and said, okay, the product's done, it's working, we've got customers, I need 14 introductions. So I spent two hours and, I, and 14 very large companies in Seattle, they are now introduced to. And I can do that because I have 30,000 people on my LinkedIn. I can do that because I have, uh, I do CEO and founders dinners every single month in Seattle and San Francisco. So I'm pretty clear about where I'm trying to add value. I also know where I, I'm not so good, and I know where, but I do know where other people are great, and I want to help bring them into the fold. So this is a very long-winded answer to your question about geography. No, it's it's, but it's I, good. It gives yep. you a sense of how to think about it. One thing you said uh, earlier, John, is that you you are interested in Bitcoin. 
Can you talk a bit more about how you're analyzing the Bitcoin situation, the opportunities? Bitcoin is not a capital efficient area to invest in. These are going to require a lot of money. If you're doing a Bitcoin venture, typically it's going to be an expensive, capital intensive investment, most like, more, more often than not. So how do you, how are you parsing the Bitcoin opportunity? So let me, let me uh, step back for one second from that question. When we started doing this 30 years ago, 20 years ago, technology was in a serial rollout. Mm -hmm. I remember literally uh, the PC was the technology. And then, you know, we talked about client server. We talked about the network. We talked about the internet. And this was now today, we have an absolute hurricane of new technologies being hurled at the world. And so there's no longer just one thing to focus on. So this conversation, what you just asked could be, tell me about your interest in the cloud. Tell me about your interest in personalized medicine. Tell me about, you know, there's 10 things that like Bitcoin that you asked mm -hmm. about. And so I have to say, I am just at the beginning of my study of Bitcoin. Oh, okay. okay. So I, I can't sit here and tell you how I'm going to invest in it. I'm sticking a toe in the water. I think it's such an important, and, and not Bitcoin, but the whole crypto, blockchain, right? I think it is, it, it's now to the point where we cannot uh, ignore it. And so, I, and I think there's 10 of these things. So the question for myself that I ask is where am I going to focus? Yeah. Right. And, and at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I, I may just say, come to the same conclusion that you've offered, which is it's not capital efficient. An angel investor can't really make a difference, that I'll get clobbered by the preference, all the things that it, you know, not everything is appropriate for an angel investor, as you right, know. Right, 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 yeah. So I don't know what that looks like yet, um, but there are a couple areas that seem very interesting to me and that I'm starting to spend some real time on. You know, we have, um, we are obviously Sorry, seeing. I can say one other thing. If you have a Bitcoin opportunity, I'm more likely to listen to it because I'm trying to learn right now. Yes. So, so this is one thing that investors should find out as they're talking to people. We only have limited amount of bandwidth and time. So what are the areas of interest right now? So that if, they're, if you're going to approach an angel investor or a seed partner, yeah. an investment group, what are they, what are they interested in? Yeah. Because, because quite frankly, I learned, that's one of the ways I learned. Yes. No, I understand completely. I, I was, uh, after doing three startups, I was an EIR at NEA for some time. And that's what was the point of doing an EIR is to learn what else is going on, who's doing what, what are the trends and so forth. And, and, and part of what I love about my job is that I get to learn from all these you know, thousands and thousands of entrepreneurs. It, is, it so, is absolutely one of my favorite parts of the job. People ask me about venture and, you know, money aside, right, it's a chance to learn every single day. I learn Intellectually so much very stimulating. Absolutely. So actually um, what I was going to say on your Bitcoin comment is that, um, you know, we are looking at blockchain opportunities where some of these entrepreneurs want to create a cryptocurrency based, 
you know, ecosystem of their own, and and they want to list on an ICO and raise, you know, $65 million. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm not so sure about this, you know, line of thought, because <laughs> this is like a very high failure probability of a thing that you're going after, and, and you want to sink all your personal savings into this. And I, I'm... I'm not sleeping very well listening to your pitch. <laughs> you know, that's the thing when, you, when you've when you done this, you've been around the block a few times, you, you, you can't help but think this is not going to end well. Yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, um, I'm, I'm waiting, by the way, I'm waiting for my taxi cab driver to tell me to buy Bitcoin, and then I'll know. Oh, God. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, I'm going to flip the question a little bit. Obviously, you see a lot of uh, different types of companies. What trends are you seeing in your deal flow that are interesting? Is there something that you can call out? Well, I think it's, um, I think that what is interesting, maybe there's one trend. What is interesting to me is, we are clearly, we used to say when I worked at Microsoft, we're in the first inning. And by the way, I have to give a shout out to the Astros because I thought it was a great World Series. I'm a huge sports fan. So I'm going to use a baseball metaphor. I have to do that. Um, but what, what's interesting to me is we're not in the ninth inning today. I don't know what it is. We're in the third inning. But we are at such an inflection point. The most interesting trend is, where can we apply technology? What are the startups that are applying technology where traditionally we used to call these dinosaur industries? They'll never change. There is not an industry that's not being touched today yep. by, by an insertion of new technology. And so wills and trust is an example, right? Immigration law. I invested in a company that's changing the way that people are able to get status and work through the immigration process. Again, mm -hmm. that, that, that's a very old-line industry, but mm -hmm. it can be disrupted. There is, I'm working with a company that's doing term life insurance, and it's never seen a technology like we're presenting to. I mean, so my point is we are thinking about now way beyond the traditional tech industry because everything is in the tech industry. Actually, this, um, you know, different verticals, niche verticals, um, where there is a lot of outdated workflow. This is one of my favorite kinds of businesses that revamps that workflow and creates, inserts, you know, even AI into it and, and really adds a lot of momentum. Right, absolutely. So you and I are thinking about that the same way. And by the so, way, yeah. It's not sexy. Not sexy is very sexy. I agree. I agree. I completely agree. <laughs> um, so I'm going to ask you a few um, questions that are broader trends, and I want to understand how you are processing these trends. One of them is how do you process the current investment climate where capital is moving further and further upstream, and how does a seed investor or an entrepreneur, for that matter, mitigate the Series A gap. There's been, you know, for the last few years, the number of seed investments is huge, you know, 50,000, 60,000, 70,000 investments, but Series A remains constant, 1,200 to 1,500 range. So a lot of companies are falling into the Series A gap. 
Well, and they're falling into it because they're not being thoughtful about how they are different. I mean, I don't, you say, how do you navigate it? You create a company that has enough different plan and enough runway. I mean, how many companies have you seen that don't raise enough money? And then they're... People are scrambling. Right, people are scrambling, and and there are a lot of people in the com in the industry right now who are also scrambling to put in little bits and pieces of money. So somebody is willing to put in twenty five thousand dollars. By the time you 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 get to raising Series A, you raise six rounds of financing already in right. little drips and drabs. Hundred percent, right? And the other thing is, you know, I I, I love to uh, I love to refer to the millennial problem is the bright shiny object, right? Okay, we better pivot. Oh, that didn't work. Well, okay, pivoting sometimes is a completely appropriate response, but you have limited amount of money. You haven't raised enough money. You pivot twice, and guess what? What do you have? I mean, I do get those calls, and people say to me, well, is this fundable now? Well, you should have asked that question <laughs> three pivots ago, right? I don't have an answer to your question, how do we deal with the doubt except to create a great business. Yeah, that's what we do here in the program is we basically focus completely on fundamentals and, and you know, focus on customers, focus on revenues, paying customers and so forth, and, and at least be able to show that we have a path to velocity if it's a funding, uh, if it's a company seeking funding. If, it's, if there is no path to velocity, we discourage people from going after funding because you can't still build a business but you shouldn't be raising funding if it's not a high-velocity business. Well, two things. One is, you know, people get money, and they, and they assume that it doesn't matter how much they got. Let's say they were trying to raise 750 or they get 350 or 400, and they're like, okay, well, let's go with what we have. But that's sort of a silly logic because you know you're going to fall short, right? You are purposely putting yourself in that place. And so it takes. It takes a lot of discipline. People get so, I love entrepreneurs, right? They're optimistic. They have to get singularly focused. But it's something what you need people like you to say, wait a minute, this isn't going to work in all likelihood because of this. Um, yeah. You know, it's interesting. It's a great company. That I'm, I'm very, uh, I tell the founders here in Seattle called Smartsheet. And what's interesting in this, I don't know if this would have happened today, to be honest. But they were down to their sort of last few dollars. They needed to raise kind of this bridge round. Uh, one of the larger venture funds here came in, but it was a down round. They couldn't raise much money. They ended up raising now, now they're on a run rate to do several hundred million dollars. And it was that moment. They are the exception. And by the way, it was, it was entrepreneurs who had done it before who came from humble backgrounds, that is the exception, okay? Exception. Harder, and that was, that was several years ago. Today when I see those companies, I think to myself, it's a shame, but someone should have said to you, you should more money. And that's what people, you know, the markets are efficient in some way, right? People are starting to learn this. Yeah. And it's so quickly, it's going to take a few years. People are going to say, wait, that wasn't really the right way to do that. Right. 
What do you um, think of unicorn mania as a seed investor? You could get buried under later stage liquidation references. How do you protect yourself? Well, I'll be honest, and I'm, I'm a secondary investor too. Uh, so I actually like some of the unicorns. Do <laughs> so you sell? Uh, I sell and I buy. I do both. You sell and you buy. So, so let's just elaborate this. You and I are kind of talking in code language, which I don't think the audience is understanding. <laughs> so explain what you mean by where you sell and you buy. Well, there are there are so so to your point, the unicorns are these companies that it's harder than ever to go public, right? There's a variety of reasons for that. So there are these companies that are out there that have these big valuations, and there's a variety of reasons why they have that valuation. Some made up, some, some real, some because of their business. Um, in some cases, you know, there's opportunities to go to the secondary market and, and take liquidity as an angel investor, and I've done that, right? But there's also companies out there that I think are are going to be worth a lot more than they are today, and just because they're not public doesn't mean they're not great companies. And so I'll go in sometimes and buy shares of those companies I mean, in the secondary you know, market. In the secondary market. And at the end of the day, right, what am I here? But the truth is I've got uh, – this is about ROI and return on investment, and I, and I think there are some great opportunities within those. But, of course, there are lots of unicorns that are unicorns popped up for reasons other than their business. Cooked up unicorns. These are there's a lot of cooked up unicorns out there, and and in those cases, I think the the, the right strategy is to sell out for early stage investors and and just get out of the whole mess. <laughs> and in fact, I would say if, if entrepreneurs have found some suckers to put in that kind of money in that kind of valuation. They should also sell good chunks of their ownership and take liquidity. Well, it's interesting. I mean, this all comes back to uh, the fact that 15, 20 years ago, hedge funds weren't playing in our space, right? But And they're not the only ones to identify here, but there's money coming into the system that was traditionally not there. And there's money saying how to get more than 6% return. Yeah, and also I think there's a tremendous amount of money in the system right now. Even in the early stage game, you know, anybody who has, uh, you know, raised a little bit of like $2 million fund, $5 million fund, there's a lot of those playing in the market. So that you could be taking money from a lot of people, but be careful whom you take money from and with what investment thesis and what expectations and, you know. And not to mention how many different angel groups have started and crowdsourced angel groups. I mean, the world is awash in money right now and looking yeah. for places to place it. And, you know, again, like the wine business, venture and angel investing has been perceived by the outside as very sexy and very lucrative. Sexy, as yeah. Know, as we all know, the vast majority has not been. Well, and I think the, the thing that mathematically – is incorrect in this industry, which drives me really crazy, is that there are 500 micro VCs and then 
probably another 500 angelist syndicates, I don't know how many, for some large number of angelist syndicates all think they're going to find unicorns. It's mathematically not viable to find that many unicorns. That's correct. That's correct. And so, you know, I think it's funny. Um, people often will ask me about, well, okay, are you looking for singles and doubles? Would you would you invest a little bit today to get a $20 million outcome or a bit yep. smaller? Not a billion, you know, this bill is so-called magical number, which is always funny to me. I'm, by the way, Maybe maybe I'm not shooting for a twenty million dollar outcome, but five hundred million, three hundred million, two hundred million often is a fantastic outcome. Sure. I, I am looking for a reasonable multiple because look, I've done this so long that I know I need ten X or more in so many deals to make up for a lot of bad deals. For a lot of right? things, there is yeah. no question. Right? What I have also been doing, and this is probably off subject, but it is related to what we're talking about. If I'm going to be looking for that, you know, one to three X, I've been doing search funds. And that's a whole different subject, but I've been buying into private equity existing companies where um, I actually feel like the best place for the fund going, have a EBITDA, that's a different place. If I'm looking for that kind of return profile, I have a different bucket for that. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I've been talking to investors. There are investors who are – Playing for smaller uh, exits, you know, and, and smaller exits are often derived out of smaller TAMs, right? They're, everybody's, if everybody's looking for $10 billion TAMs, well, there aren't that many $10 million TAM companies. So, but there are actually a lot of $100 million, $200 million TAM companies where you can get these smaller exits but get nice, you know, decent capital efficient ventures that can be called successes, right? That's right. Well, and by the way, just since we're on this subject, I'll remind people that when Facebook came out not so long ago in the public market, you could have bought it for 20 bucks. Yeah. It is, what, at 170 180 today. So, you know, you want to get 10 times your money. There are still ways to do it, and this is the only way. So for those angel investors listening, you know, you ought to think about that as well, right? Yeah. John, thank you very much. It was a great conversation. It's great to have you here, and uh, we'll continue offline. Well, that's fantastic. I want to encourage all your listeners, if you come to Seattle, if I can be helpful in any way, let me know. If you end up in Argentina and want to go to Mendoza and visit the winery, let me know. And thank you for your time. It's fantastic. Thank you. Bye-bye.